0: Welcome to
1: Matters: the Brink of Alzheimer's, with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman.
2: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Matters: the Brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. Our topic of discussion today is the staging of dementia or the stages of dementia. You know, many, um, most of the conditions which lead to symptoms of dementia are progressive in nature, and most of them really do not have a discrete a series of changes from one stage of dementia to another. Uh, They they are um, uh, continuously progressive disorders, and yet um, it is helpful to talk about different stages of dementia for reasons that we'll get into in a little bit, but this is not unlike other areas of medicine. For example, we may refer to stage 2 or stage 3 cancer, uh, not because there is a discrete change from one stage to another, but because it's a progressive disorder. And by giving stages, we are able to communicate uh, some things about it that are relevant. Similarly, uh, COPD or renal failure, congestive heart failure. um, There are not discrete um, uh, episodes of the disorder, but it's a continuously changing disorder, which... um, may be understood a little bit better if we impose some stages on it. So as we talk about stages of dementia, I'd like to um, go ahead and address this first. When exactly does Alzheimer's disease develop? Alzheimer's is known as a disease of older people because the greatest risk factor for developing Alzheimer's disease is advancing age at the age of 65, perhaps a 2% Uh, probability of Alzheimer's at the age of 75, 14, or 15%. At the age of 85, the risk goes up to about 42 to 45%. So, we can see that when Alzheimer's disease becomes symptomatic, in other words, when the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease start becoming evident, uh, manifesting themselves Um, Generally speaking, we're looking at somebody over the age of 65 years. On the other hand, uh, the disease itself, if we define the disease not as the symptoms But as a certain microscopic pathology, certain pathological changes in the brain that can only be seen under a microscope, then we begin to understand the the disease very differently. We uh, have come to learn in the past few years that the disease process of Alzheimer's, the disease process in the brain, progresses for 20 or 25 years before symptoms begin to show up. And so... Do we consider then the um the earliest stage of the disease to be that period of time when the pathology is getting progressively greater, that being the the uh, beta amyloid plaques and the neurofibrillary tangles? Um, do we? call that the earliest stage of Alzheimer's disease or do we stage it on the basis of when the symptoms show up? So, um, interesting questions and we will talk through these. Now, people have taken different approaches to staging. You know, we might talk about mild dementia, moderate dementia and severe dementia and just use a three-stage model for it and some people use that. Dr. Barry Reisberg of the New York University School of Medicine's Silberstein Aging and Dementia Research Center has laid out a seven-stage model that uh, has become more and more generally used. I know this is the uh, model that has been espoused by the Alzheimer's Association. Others might look at a five-stage model, but each of these um, involves the same thing. Taking this continuously progressive process and trying to break it into discrete periods of time when certain patterns show up more than others. So is it a good idea to do that? Well, there are advantages to laying out stages, for Alzheimer's disease. Um, It's helpful certainly to the general public, to caregivers, family members, loved ones. It's helpful for them to understand the current symptom pattern that an individual has and where that current pattern fits into the context of future changes in a progressive disorder. So stages are helpful that way. If I say this person has early stage dementia and this person has late stage dementia, that communicates very different things. And and understanding what those different implications are, you know, is helpful when someone is providing care for a person with Alzheimer's disease or some other kind of dementia. The stages also help um, family members, caregivers, to be able to anticipate some of the challenges that have not yet arisen but would expect to be seen sometime in the future. Now, certain challenges that come up behaviorally or emotionally or in terms of cognitive functioning, certain needs that the caregiver will have to um, uh, attempt to meet to the best of his or her ability, uh, certain impairments that are seen in uh, later phases of the disease than are seen in early phases. And you know, This would have a lot of implications, for example, for things like driving, managing finances, cooking, and things like that we do know that um, different dementias take different pathways. We know that different symptom patterns are prominent earlier in one type of dementia than they are in another type of dementia. And so while the stages can be helpful, there is no unique description of separate stages that will apply to all of the dementias. So even though we can stage dementia and we can use concepts like early or middle or late dementia or stage one, stage two, stage three, even though we can talk about the the dementias that way, we understand that it is very important to come to grips with what the specific nature of the dementing disorder is in any individual case. Um, limitations of staging models, one is of course the, the pattern of progression of Alzheimer's disease. If we exclude the other forms of dementia, the, the course of Alzheimer's disease is a highly variable course. It is uh Uh, quite variable from one person to another. Persons do not start with the same symptom patterns and they do not go through each of the described various stages. They may go faster or slower through them. Um, The stages do not imply a specific timeline. So if a person is in stage three now, in X number of months or years, they'll be at stage four. We don't know that information and you know, we are not yet able to predict, um, which, uh, the, the rate with which new stages will occur and in great detail, what the characteristics of those stages would be. Additionally, of course, you know, staging dementia does not predict life expectancy in the individual who has the dementia. So just uh, reviewing briefly from earlier programs that we've done, there are lots of irreversible conditions that cause dementia. Dementia simply being a word to describe that someone has had a compromise of or is losing cognitive abilities, most commonly memory, but language and judgment and decision-making and perceptual organization and things like that. So we see that um, uh, there are many disorders that can cause dementia and they will each have their own unique characteristics. As an example, uh, we see with Alzheimer's disease, most commonly, you will see memory problems early on, and um, often there will be executive deficits, which we'll talk about um, in a little bit as well, but uh, memory deficits and executive deficits early on, uh, these tend to be very slow and gradual in their onset, and they tend to be slow and steady in their progression. A Uh, disorder like Lewy body disorder, which is probably the second most common of the irreversible dementias. Lewy body disorder Generally, early on has a different set of symptoms, one being uh, what's called the REM sleep behavior disorder, extremely agitated or restless sleep during the dream phase of sleeping. Lewy body disorder may have some unique changes in movement patterns and, and often is associated with visual hallucinations early on. So obviously, stages for Alzheimer's disease would not be the same as stages for Lewy body disorder. There are a number of uh, disorders that come under the heading of frontotemporal dementia. One of those is primary progressive aphasia. With this disorder, the primary early symptom is loss of language abilities, initially difficulty finding the right word to express oneself and then substituting different words and then um, eventually not being able to communicate at all, even though other evidence indicates that memory functioning continues to be pretty good in the early phases of primary progressive aphasia. Pick's disease, another frontotemporal dementia, is associated with a lot of emotional and behavioral and personality change early on, and these changes are much more prominent than the um, memory and other cognitive changes are. Uh, And then, of course, a condition like progressive supranuclear palsy, you know, you will see cognitive change, but you will also tend to see things like uh, subtle visual changes, double vision and things like that early on in the, the disorder. In essence, when you look at these various irreversible and progressive dementias, the longer the duration of the disorder, the more they seem to look like each other um, in that the advanced stages of each of them um, are are similar to to the other ones, but they each have their own defining and distinguishing characteristics early on. So we will talk about the staging of dementia As we go through the discussion and the approach that I want to take with this is basically as follows. First is, I'm going to go over, um, and I know that you've heard it before, but I'm going to go over what are the symptom areas that you see with these dementias and list them out and explain them. That way, when we talk about the different stages of dementia, we will be talking about which symptoms tend to show up when at different points in the progression of the disorder. So I hope that this is a discussion that you will find interesting. One of the um, irreversible dementias I forgot to mention is vascular dementia. Um, Vascular dementia has a a highly variable course by its nature, and um, the onset tends to be much more sudden. Uh, As uh, a uh, stroke or an infarction occurs, the course tends to be choppier. In other words, there tend to be discrete points at which there's a sudden change, but what that change is depends on where in the brain the stroke will have occurred. So, uh, vascular dementia, the time course of change is different, and the symptom picture is much more variable because it just depends on where in the brain the strokes are occurring. So, stay with us, and we will have this discussion about staging of dementia.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys?
1: What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store?
3: Why did I forget that
1: appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it.
4: By making some important changes in your life, you can move forward from where you are to where you wish to be. It is becoming the change you want to see. It can be a sort of experiment, if you will. On Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time, your host, Dr. Serena Wadhwa, will introduce you to ideas that can help improve your health, relationships, and finances. You probably have at least one part of your life that needs improving. Make an appointment now to join us every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: You are listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Welcome
2: back, and thank you for staying with us as we talk about the stages of dementia. And as I had uh, indicated earlier, the different types of dementia will have different patterns of symptoms that occur at different points along the way. So, while it is helpful. To talk about stages of dementia, um, there is no one model that will fit all cases of dementia. And so predominantly during the discussion, we will be talking about Alzheimer's disease, but I will try to fit into the discussion um, how um, other types of dementia will manifest themselves at different stages. And before we go into that, I want to talk a little bit about what the primary symptoms of dementia are. One of the um, most um, widely recognized, of course, is amnesia. Amnesia simply refers to a memory disorder. When a person says memory disorder, that means a lot of different things to different people. Um, I have had people uh, say that um, this patient's memory is just fine because they can remember things from a long time ago. And in general, with neurological disorders, whether it be traumatically induced or toxic or any number of other things, the pattern is for the memory disorder to not be evident in terms of failure to remember things from a long time ago, but it has predominantly to do with new learning or new uh, remembering new experiences or new information. And so as we talk about memory functioning in an individual, we can look at different aspects of memory. The one that probably is uh, most widely understood, certainly it is the most widely researched, is what we refer to as declarative memory. This is simply memory for information or memory for data. An example of that is um, understanding uh, what, um, what someone was told the day before. And so, um, understanding that information that was given often in a mental status examination, the, uh, examiner will say, I want you to remember three words, apple, orange umbrella, remember those three words. And then a few minutes later in the examination, um, the examiner will say, what were those three words that I told you to remember? That would be an example of declarative memory. Another type of memory is referred to as episodic memory. And this refers to a, a couple of things, really. I, I think it is best um, described as uh, experiential memory, memory for experiences. So you may not remember what we talked about yesterday but do you remember that we talked yesterday do you remember that experience of talking do you remember what you did this morning or do you remember what you did yesterday so um, that would be experiential memory and of course that has a significant but uh, not overly strong component of emotional memory as well um if a person responds differently in a situation because of um events that happened in that situation emotional memory would become a part of that um the Next aspect of memory that I would mention is what we refer to as procedural memory. Procedural memory is memory for how things work or how you make things work or what are the rules which govern something. So procedural memory might refer to remembering the rules of a card game or a, a board game. A procedural memory may also involve things like remembering how to take a key out of your pocket, put it in an ignition and start up the engine on a car so procedural memory how do you do things and then the final aspect of memory to mention right now is called prospective memory and this is a difficult thing to research but it is very important in terms of daily functioning That is remembering to do something at some time in the future. And so if after work I'm supposed to stop by the store and pick up some milk and bring it home, then for me at this point in time, that would involve prospective memory. I project some time into the future, and when that time gets here, I have to remember to do some certain thing. So we may talk about declarative memory, memory for information, or we may talk about episodic memory, memory for experiences, procedural memory, remembering how to do things or how, how uh, things work, and prospective memory, remembering to do something in the future. Um, so as we talk about amnesia, then, we're not talking about the loss of memory for events from a long time ago. Because generally, that aspect of memory functioning stays good. But what we're talking about is uh, difficulties with memory hour-to-hour, day-to-day, minute-to-minute in some cases, in one of these four categories, declarative, episodic, procedural, or prospective. Um, so amnesia is the most common single symptom of all of the dementias. It cuts across, you know, in, in reality, it cuts across nearly all, um, brain disorders as being a prominent system, a symptom. Now, the next area of symptoms I want to talk about is called aphasia, A-P-H-A-S-I-A. Aphasia refers to language functioning. Aphasia has basically three components to it, the ability to understand, the ability to think with language, and the ability to express with language. So when there is a problem with receptive aphasia, that would refer to difficulties in understanding what someone is saying to you or um, difficulties understanding the written word. Either one of these would, would be involved if there's a primary language disorder. Remember that disorder we talked about earlier, primary progressive aphasia. The aphasia is the dominant system through most of the course of that disorder, and then later in the disorder, the memory problems develop. If a person has receptive aphasia, generally in the dementias, you see that early on as difficulty finding the right word to express oneself. As you know, this is a fairly common occurrence anyway. We all have difficulties at times finding the word or finding uh, quickly the name of someone that we know very well, but um, with Uh, early Alzheimer's disease, for example, or primary progressive aphasia, this may be significantly disruptive to the point that the patient begins becoming frustrated and no longer wants to uh, even try to express the thoughts or or communicate that effectively. With uh, more advanced aphasia, you will begin to see the substitution of incorrect words. We talk about paraphasias as an example of an incorrect word, or a neologism is a, a, a different version of that or a different form of that. Um, so with aphasia, difficulty understanding or difficulty with expressing, but then we have this other aspect of it, which has to do with thinking with language. You know, when we are faced with a difficult task, we often will almost talk ourselves sub through the task. Uh, we will repeat the instructions under our breath or we'll repeat the instructions inside us until we can get the task completed. And usually that's going to be a sequential and very logical system. But as language impairments develop, known as aphasia. As language impairments develop in many of the dementias, you see a loss in all three of these areas. Difficulty understanding exactly what is said or what has been read, difficulty saying the right, coming up with the right word to express oneself, and that would apply to writing as well. It's not just speaking the word, but writing, and then difficulty with using internal language to work through an attempt to solve problems. The next area I want to talk about is called agnosia. That comes from the Greek root, which has to do with knowing. Agnosia means, uh, agnosia refers to um, loss in the ability to see something or hear something or feel something with your fingers and understand what it is that you are seeing hearing or feeling so it's the the loss in the ability to attach your knowledge base to the sensory experience that you're having. One of the things that we see commonly with the dementias is uh, visual confusion and that would be an example of agnosia. The visual environment simply becomes too complicated for the individual to be able to grasp and understand and function well within and um, that can become very debilitating so the agnosias they can occur in any of the sensory modalities and they refer to not being able to make sense out of what it is that you are looking at or hearing or feeling and this would apply to the sense of smell as well for example if there is something burning on the stove the person may be aware of a change in the smell in the environment but may not interpret that as something burning in the kitchen so the agnosias can become limiting things the next term that I will um, lay out for you is called the apraxias. Apraxia has to do with movement. And so when there is a problem in performing more complicated tasks like simple repair, things around the house, fixing a latch on a door or um Uh, um, unplugging the, the toilet or fixing a running toilet or things like that, often apraxia will be the cause of that. So what would be a task that has always been within this patient's ability range now becomes excessively difficult and we term that symptom apraxia. Next, I'm going to talk about a set of conditions that occur under the heading of executive dysfunction. The executive centers of the brain are the planning and control centers. And when there are impairments there, um, often what is seen will be confusion, not so much memory loss, but confusion, not being able to make sense of a situation, for example, loss of behavioral or emotional inhibition, so the person will be much more impulsive or much more emotional. This might be seen as a personality change. Another aspect of executive functioning that becomes very important is self-awareness or self-monitoring. It's one thing to have a memory disorder, but it's another thing to not know that you have a memory disorder. Those are actually two different things. If a person has a memory disorder and they know it, they take steps to compensate. If they don't know it, then they don't take steps to compensate and run the risk of getting into trouble. Also among executive... uh, deficits would be difficulties with time organization, organizing activities into a time frame or knowing how much time has lapsed or things along those lines. So when we look at these executive deficits, and there's much more that could be said about them, but these are the very high level, um, uniquely human things that, um, uh, change at a very subtle level, but can become very debilitating. So with that review of the symptoms, and I will have a little bit more to add to that after the break, we are going to go to a break now. Please stay with us, and we will be back in just a couple of minutes.
3: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
4: Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters.
3: Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: You are listening to Matters: the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to NeuroMatters. Thank you for being with us today as
2: we talk about stages of dementia. I, uh, in the second segment, reviewed the cognitive symptoms that you see with different forms of dementia. And I want to talk a little bit now about some other symptoms that can become problematic as well. It is not unusual to see uh, a mild to moderate depression early on in a dementia, and the the question is always a little confusing about why that would be there. For some, it's because of the frustration of um, not being able to solve problems, or remember, or express oneself as well. But for others, the depression can emerge as a primary symptom, certainly in Um, uh, Pick's disease, for example, that would be the case. Anxiety may also be seen early on uh, for much the same reasons. Uh, Irritability is not uncommon in an early dementia, and suspiciousness, which may arise from misunderstanding um, or from uh, not being aware of memory deficits and feeling that others are responsible for the deficits, may also be seen So, um, we see these other symptoms as well emerging in the dementias, and they can each be very problematic. Uh, Sleep disorders, I had mentioned, for example, the REM sleep disorder, the REM sleep behavior disorder of Lewy body dementia. But let's go now and talk about the seven-stage model of uh, Alzheimer's disease, and we'll talk that through. Interestingly, stage one is no cognitive decline or no uh, normal cognitive functioning. Now, I have mixed feelings about calling this uh, stage one of Alzheimer's disease. I partly understand and agree with it, but I I partly – I I want to be cautious that using this description as stage one of Alzheimer's disease does not imply – Uh, that normal aging is a prelude or an early condition leading to dementia. I want to point out very strongly that most older people do not develop dementia. I cannot say that uh, strongly enough. So dementia is not the rule. Dementia is a a disease state. Dementia is not the eventuality uh, of normal aging. But given that it's included in normal aging, here is the rationale for it. When we consider that the pathology, the the microscopic changes in the brain of Alzheimer's disease continues for 20 or 25 years before symptoms show up, then we would call that phase, this stage one normal aging, but it could only be identified retrospectively. The patient does not experience or report any memory problems and interacting with the patient does not suggest memory problems. Um, Nothing is um, evident in terms of a, a clinical interview or a mental status examination. There is question whether other procedures and other diagnostic procedures will demonstrate impairments there, but certainly a standard mental status examination is not going to show impairments at that point. So normal aging being considered stage one of Alzheimer's disease Uh, refers only to those people in whom Alzheimer's disease is already active and without better biomarkers than we have right now. We're uh, very limited in our ability to identify those people. In the future, one would hope that while cognition is normal, while there are no Uh, experiences or reports of memory loss and nothing seen in clinical interview, it will eventually be possible to measure things in blood or in cerebral spinal fluid that would be indicators that this individual has that pathology, that microscopic pathology going on, and um, the expectation is that it would continue to go on until something happens to make that uh, progressive microscopic pathology stop happening. So, given that um, uh, then a person eventually is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, we would retrospectively say this was the normal cognition or stage one phase of Alzheimer's disease. No experience of memory disorder, no reports of memory disorder, and no evidence of memory disorder based on clinical interview. Stage two is referred to as very mild cognitive decline, and in that stage, we would be thinking about um, a word like forgetfulness. There are um, uh, experiences, there are situations that come up in which memory fails, but it is difficult to distinguish these situations from what we might refer to as normal forgetting. Keep in mind that forgetting is an extremely important neurocognitive process. We would be so overloaded with information without the forgetting function that uh, we would probably end up being quite confused. So in stage two, which, as I said, is termed very mild cognitive decline, um, we would see a person reporting that they're having some memory difficulties, and what they would report would be something like forgetting the names of people that they have known well, um, forgetting where they have placed familiar objects, uh, car keys, um, uh, in these days a cell phone, and things along those lines. Again, on clinical interview, there would be no evidence of a memory deficit, and Keep in mind that the clinical interview is along the lines of remembering three words or placing something in the office and having the patient remember where where it was placed or something like that. In more complex settings, and this would be in, for example, the workplace or in social settings, there is no evidence presented there to others. Uh, Coworkers would not see problems, Uh, friends... um, Social acquaintances would not be seeing evidence of memory problems in those settings. Um, the person who is experiencing the forgetting episodes, as we said, forgetting where they placed something or uh, forgetting the name of someone that they have known well, that they would demonstrate an appropriate concern for that. They would have awareness of it. They would have some concern about it, um, and um, they would be, generally speaking, more aware than people around them that there are some memory difficulties going on. Um, Stage three in the seven-stage model is called mild cognitive decline, or it may be termed the early confusional stage. Um, Here, we begin to see clear-cut deficits. And these deficits are manifested in certain areas. An example would be traveling in an unfamiliar area. Now, this is someone that will be able to drive to the places they usually go to, the grocery store, place of employment, um, their church, things along those lines, the homes of friends. So in familiar areas, they would not show the deficit, but if they're traveling in an area of the city or an area of the country, that uh, they have not gone too frequently and gone too recently, then um, there would be increased risk of getting lost. If they're traveling on the highway, going to another city, um, and uh, this is not a city that's very familiar to them, you would see problems there also in stage 3 co-workers may start becoming aware of a performance decrement in the patient you know it is not unusual that i would see a patient to evaluate whether there is a significant memory disorder and the primary concern that is showing up is not being able to do the work as well as they used to. An accountant who can't make a ledger balance or who has difficulties doing calcu- calculations or uh, someone who works in a um, uh, in a public setting like a um, a uh, clothing store or something like that, and not being able to find things in the store as they normally would. We would also see in stage three, the mild cognitive decline stage, word and name finding difficulties that become especially uh, more clear to the people that know them well. We all have had the experience of not remembering the name of someone, but immediate family members, a spouse. Um, uh, son or daughter of the person would be a lot more aware of which names they would be likely to remember and which names they would be likely to forget. We might also uh, see difficulties in reading and um, not so much in performing the specific task of reading, but in terms of retaining what has been read. My patients who have been avid readers have found themselves having to go back and reread pages in order to maintain continuity in the storyline. A patient may lose or misplace an object of value, and and that would be consistent with stage three mild cognitive decline, difficulties with concentration. Um, At this point in stage three, a clinical interview is likely to show some evidence of memory decline. Um, the uh, I had mentioned before the performance decrement in a performance in a uh, an employment setting or in some other setting where a person does volunteer work, for example. At this point in stage three, often you will see the development of decreasing awareness that the deficits are present and you begin to see a little increase in anxiety or depression as these um, as these impairments are being manifest as well. So this is the point at which you see some of the executive deficits that I had described earlier beginning to manifest themselves in Alzheimer's disease. So we've talked about stage one which is normal but with the neuropathology present Stage two, very mild cognitive decline in which the individual experiences memory difficulties, but other people don't see it. And now stage three, mild cognitive decline, where other people begin to see the cognitive deficits, especially memory deficits, manifested in a lot of different settings and partly dependent upon the level of uh, memory demanded of the person's lifestyle, but as others begin to see that memory problem, the patient, him or herself, becomes less aware of it, but may react with more emotionality, such as anxiety or depression. So we will pick up with this in just a few minutes as we go to stage four, but first we are going to take a short break, so please stay with us.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to
1: pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it.
4: Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics.
3: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening
1: to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters
2: we are back and we are coming into our final segment we have talked about stages one through three of alzheimer's disease we have four stages to go and one segment to get it done so let's see how we do with this stage four is referred to as moderate cognitive decline sometimes called the late confusional stage so stage three early confusional stage four, late confusional and as we move into this range keep in mind that In general, people who saw the patient would say they have overall mild impairment. So we're not looking at advanced dementia at all yet. But at this point, we would tend to see in a clinical interview uh, evidence of memory difficulties like decreased knowledge of current or recent events. These may be public events or maybe specific events in the person's life provided to the examiner by family members. may begin to see some difficulties with memory of one's personal history as well what things that person has been doing concentration deficits are seen much more significantly at this point and at this point also one would tend to see difficulties with managing finances balancing the checkbook seeing that bills are paid on time uh, making change at the store and things like that typically At stage four Alzheimer's disease, we do not see things like disorientation to time or person. By that, we mean the patient knows what year it is and knows what month it is, what season of the year it is. May not get the day of the month exactly right, but generally orientation to time is good. And of course, they know who they are and uh, um, they know uh, a lot about their life history, although not recent life history. People in this stage will continue to recognize familiar persons and faces, as noted earlier, may not be able to remember the names of those individuals, but recognizing spouses, children, and grandchildren tends not to be a problem at this point. Um, The person continues to be very capable of traveling to the familiar locations, as I mentioned earlier, the grocery store, church, place of uh, work, if they are continuing to work at this point in a somewhat sheltered or protected arrangement. And the person uh, continues to be able to perform fairly complex tasks, like driving a car, and um, although not necessarily Um, staying well organized in unfamiliar territory would be able to operate the uh, um, controls of the vehicle just fine, would be able to do other kinds of complex tasks as well. However, what we see at this point is progressively decreasing awareness of deficits as that um, executive dysfunction becomes more prominent. And without that awareness, questions begin to come up about, whether the person can uh stay home alone whether the uh individual can be left home uh, left um, at home alone for a couple of hours whether um the person would uh, make a bad decision if for example um someone tried to take advantage of them and things like that. And also, you tend to see um, sort of a flattening out of the emotional responsiveness and the world begins to become smaller for that person as the person begins to um, withdraw more from challenging situations. The person may, um, may very much enjoy going to a restaurant provided that the restaurant is not too crowded or too noisy and provided that it's a restaurant that is familiar to the person. Um, the, the person would, uh, Tend to withdraw from social situations in which there are a lot of people because of the inability to follow the the um, conversation when there are multiple contributors to the conversation, so with this situation, we begin to see the world getting smaller and um, and the individual Um, becoming not necessarily more introverted, but less responsive to the the bigger challenging situations of life. Now, stage five, which is called the moderately severe cognitive decline uh, stage. At this point, the person can no longer survive without some assistance. So while in stage four, the person is still getting through the day pretty independently. And the question has started coming up about whether they can be left alone. In stage five, we're talking now about somebody who is going to need assistance through the day in interview difficulties with even recalling the major events of life, such as uh, the wedding of a grandchild or, um, uh, any, any similar major event that you know would be important to that person, difficulty remembering telephone numbers or addresses, um, and even difficulty now remembering things from a longer time ago, like what school they graduated from or what college they graduated from. Um, and you may see Difficulty recalling the names of close family members such as grandchildren. So clearly we see a progression of the memory problems here. May begin to see some disorientation to time, not being certain what day of the week it is. It's not unusual, for example, if an older person um, is used to having a child come and pick him or her up for church on Sunday mornings um, to be dressed and ready to go to church on Wednesday morning. A lot of factual information continues to be retained as far as their own personal life history is concerned, Um, and they generally continue to know their own name and their spouse's name. That is not a problem yet. Um, They're independent in personal hygiene but may have difficulties picking out the clothes to wear. Uh, Stage six is severe cognitive decline now the individual even begins to forget the name of the spouse upon whom they've been uh, relying for quite some time Um, generally unaware of recent events and experiences in their own lives may retain information from a long time ago but that information becomes less organized and more sketchy decreased awareness of surroundings, may not know what season it is or what year it is, a lot more difficulties with concentration, beginning to develop difficulties with key areas of um, activities of daily living. You may begin to see the development of urinary uh, incontinence at this point. May still recognize familiar locations, although not with a lot of consistency. May begin to see sleep disturbance at this point, Uh, but um, uh, that is highly variable from one patient to another. Unable to distinguish familiar people from unfamiliar people um personality and emotional changes become much more prominent such as um interacting with non-existent persons in the environment or talking to their reflection in the mirror thinking that's another person you may see some obsessive type and repetitive activities like cleaning you may begin to see anxiety agitation Um, even violent behavior can continue to come up at this point um and um and so the the progression is very difficult. Then we come to very severe cognitive decline or late stage dementia in which the person no longer has the ability to communicate meaningfully. Um, incontinence is now uh, consistent requires assistance with toileting and feeding, and the loss of basic the psychomotor skills. Even the ability to walk may become impaired at that point, and what you will tend to see is abnormal posturing and abnormal movements. So that is a quick overview of the stages of dementia. I hope that this overview has been informative to you. I hope that it helps you to understand where your loved one is now in the context of the overall picture, and keep in mind all of the caveats that i laid out in the very first part of the program, that there are many different patterns because there are many forms of dementia, and not all patients go through all the same stages. Thank you for being with us. I look forward to being back with you next week.
1: Thank you for listening to Matters: the brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.